0: listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station
1: this is The Agenda
0: on Dubai Eye 103.8
1: this is Sonal standing in for Georgia Tolly on the agenda. And on the show today, we wanted to discuss the important matter of what's going on around town when it comes to New Year's Eve, because of course there are certain road closures and things to be aware of. So we did have a representative from Dubai Police tell us what we need to know. And in addition to that, we talked about doing education a little bit differently. Would you pick an unconventional education model? for your child. We heard about a fascinating school that involves sending high schoolers to different locations every single year to do project-based learning. Plus, we'll look at what's coming up on the social calendar for next year. The Emirates Lit Fest, it's one of our absolute favorites. It kicks off at the end of January and we heard from them about who they're really looking to bring here and who we need to look out for when it comes to getting our tickets. And finally, we caught up with a woman who is climbing to make a difference. Sana Shoyak joined us as well. We are fast approaching the start of the new year, and it's fair to say we all know how it goes on New Year's Eve. It's a busy time out on the roads to be out and about, especially around certain hours and every year in key areas. You really need to be aware how to get in and out, how to manage your, your flow and, and where you're going um, over the course of New Year's Eve. So we'd love to hear from you actually today. What do you have planned this New Year's Eve? Will you be out and about, or maybe you're choosing not to celebrate this year like some? Let us know, certainly on 4001. We we have a very special guest in the studio today to help us navigate all of this. Lieutenant Colonel Abdul Rahman Al Falasi is the head of Traffic Awareness Department of Dubai Police, and he's joined us in the studio this morning. Colonel Abdul Rahman, thank you so much for You're joining welcome. us. You're welcome. Good morning. Yeah, and you know, thank you so much for coming in today because it's a really important message to get out to the Dubai community and for everybody to be aware of. And I want to start with some of the most Busiest areas, some of the most obvious points on New Year's Eve, the message for those people who are going into the downtown Dubai area definitely yep. seems to be if you are going there, make sure you arrive early.
2: Yeah, yeah. So this is the message we, we would we would like to send uh, if you are trying or planning to go to visit uh, downtown on New Year. So try to be there early because there are going to be uh, closure of the roads mm-hmm. um, Uh, surrounded uh, Boulevard and uh, downtown. Uh, Yeah, the main event will be in uh, downtown. But we do have uh, 32 locations for fireworks, Mm -hmm. uh, starting from uh, Jabal Ali uh, reaching to Hatta. So, uh, yeah, there is uh, plenty of places to celebrate and see fireworks. And you can choose one of them. And uh, I'm happy to share them with you.
1: Yeah, I mean, let's hear actually about a few yeah, of them because actually, um, a lot of people wouldn't have had tickets, gotten managed to get the tickets to downtown. So what are some of the other best locations that people uh, can check out? If
2: we're going to start, we start from uh, Jabal Ali uh, going down to uh, Hatta. Jabal Ali, we do have um, uh, Jabal Ali Resort. Mm-hmm. They are doing fireworks. Uh, Dubai Parks and Resorts, they are doing fireworks as well. Uh, uh, Dubai Eye. Blue Waters. Not this Dubai eye, of course. (laughs) Not this one. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Blue Waters, um, uh, the Palm, nearly uh, five hotels in the Palm, Uh, Jumeirah Palm, they are uh, planning to do uh, fireworks. And uh, we do have uh, hotels on uh, Jumeirah Road, like Mm -hmm. uh, Burj al Arab, uh, uh, Jumeirah Beach, uh, Nikki Beach, uh, Resort. season beach mm-hmm. and uh, we do have uh, a new location this year it's uh, d3 okay yeah and we do have um, festival city as well mm-hmm. there is uh, fireworks also in um, in the uh, Dubai Creek itself okay fireworks uh, in um, uh, global village so uh plenty of places
1: so many options and i'm yes. sure from a traffic point of view as well it's really nice to be able to spread the options out across You know, the city and not just the city, the Emirate as well, because you did mention Hata, of course. And let's talk about some of the road closures that are going to be happening, because you did mention, especially in the downtown area, uh, and most of them starting around four o'clock.
2: Yes. Yes. So we'll uh, start closing uh, Dubai Financial Street, uh, the lower deck at 4 uh, Mm -hmm. p.m. Uh, Mohammed bin Rashid Street, Mohammed bin Rashid Bolivar Street uh, will be closed at 4 p.m., Uh, Al uh, Mustaqbal Street will be start closing at four till eight p.m. Mm-hmm. It depends on the traffic flow. Um, uh, the upper deck of uh, Financial Street will be closed at uh, eight p.m. Mm-hmm. So, um, and we have uh, located uh, the the uh, the uh, event committee have located uh, two main locations to be transferred from to the uh, main location uh, downtown which is uh, Al-Wassal Club and uh, to, to be transferred from Al Wasl Club to the uh, by by uh, RTA buses
1: right so people can actually drive and park if they don't want to take yeah if public, you want yeah if you want to drive and train. park
2: you have to be really early yeah like before before 4am 4pm
1: and there are set locations as well in terms of if you want to park and get the shuttle bus
2: we yes there is uh, The look one location is uh, in Al Wasl Club Mm -hmm. which is uh, in Al-Zahbil and there is another location which is in Al-Jafliya Yes Yeah
1: and, you know, in addition to the fact that a lot of the road closures will happen from four, and I just want to point out, we were talking earlier, actually, sometimes it's diff- difficult to visualize those roads and which ones we're talking about. Dubai Police does have a video yes. of this. We will be sharing it on our Instagram account as well on Dubai Eye. Yes. Um,
2: yes. And it's also shared uh, in our uh, Instagram account in uh, Dubai Police. Yeah. You can have a look on the video, it will, it will be helpful.
1: Exactly, I think it helps visualize exactly when we talk about these exactly. roads. From what point are they starting the closures, and which roads exactly? Because Al mustaqbal Street, I know Dubai, you know, downtown Dubai is closed. I didn't realize that road behind DIFC as yeah, well. Yeah. You know, that was new information. It's,
2: it's connected directly to uh, to uh, of uh, Financial Street, right? Yeah.
1: So definitely something to be aware of, and wh- and when it comes to residents of these areas, obviously downtown Dubai, DIFC, we have so many residents in those areas. I understand the planning has already happened to make sure they can get around where they need to. But what do residents need to know yes. about um, about getting actually, back home?
2: Actually, this is this is one thing with that uh, we ha- we are doing in uh, the uh, event and security committee uh we uh, this the, the committee is uh we have like fa- partners like 55 partners mm-hmm. includes imar includes uh, uh private and government sectors so um all of the residents uh, have been already noticed that uh, there will be closure in the, closer in the uh, streets and uh, you know this is not the first time mm mm-hmm um but uh, in this year um i think uh, we have planned um, more more things uh, we have uh, taken in our consideration uh, the um, labors uh, that are uh, uh, going uh, they, they they are planning to go to the uh, locations so we have set uh, nine big st- screens mm-hmm. uh, in the uh, locations of uh, labor camps. Uh, let's say in Al qusais in Horlands uh, in uh, Jebel Ali industrial area. So they don't have to take the uh, risk to go to till downtown to see the uh, the event. Uh, there are uh, big screens showing all of uh, what's going around Dubai uh, in that new year. So um, uh, we we'll, we are trying to to reach to every um, part of the community to let them enjoy the uh, New year Eve.
1: Right. A lot of logistics that go into making sure the city runs smoothly over the course of such a big day. And we are joined in studio by Lieutenant Colonel Abdulrahman Al-Falasi. He's head of Traffic Awareness Department of Dubai Police. And... Lieutenant Colonel, one of the questions that we had in, actually, was we talked about the road closures, especially in the downtown area yes. from 4 p.m., but when do they reopen?
2: Um, hopefully, uh, we'll make sure that uh, the pe- uh, pedestrian goes uh, back to the, uh, their, their car. So after that, we're going to open, reopen the roads. I think it might take till uh, 2, 2.30
1: so, you use your judgment basically yes, according yes. to depends. when the pedestrian is It depends on the traffic
2: flow. Right. It depends on the uh, pedestrian flow. Okay. Based on that, we re- we'll, we'll reopen the roads. Okay, brilliant. And it will be uh, gradually like uh, we'll reopen um, uh, Sheikh Zayed Road because it's a main street. Um, the first road will be open, then we'll go back to the financial road, then it will be it will be gradually a phase kind of
1: reopening. Great. One final question on this front, because this has come in from one of our listeners, Sujit, who said, Hi, can we still come to downtown, even if we don't have tickets? And where should we be able to watch in that case? And I think, um, Colonel, there's been a bit of confusion this year, because there was a ticketing process, yes, but only for a certain area.
2: Yes, exactly. There is a ticketing process, I think it was for the park area. Uh, but uh, still, you can come and visit the uh, the uh, the uh, Boulevard or Burj Khalifa location. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do have a uh, viewing uh, area for both uh, families and bachelors uh, sar- all around the uh, Burj Khalifa area. So, all around uh, Mohammed bin Rashid Boulevard will be. Uh, uh, Placed as segments uh, for families and bachelors, and these uh, segments um, provided with uh, toilets, washrooms, uh, mm. service co- uh, service tents. Uh, we have nearly uh, 18 uh, service tents uh, surrounded the area. Uh, we can um, the, the the mainly they are uh, uh, they are. Uh, Supporting tents, they are uh, supporting people with uh, first aids right. and uh, lost and found cases. These are the main cases which uh, police support in these situations.
1: There's so much more planning that goes into this other than traffic. A lot of people think about traffic flow, but of course, this has been months in the works for the authorities, for Dubai Police, Civil Defense, the the whole team that comes together to make this a a smooth process. How long have the authorities been working on this plan?
2: Actually, the the Event Security Committee have been working on this plan since uh, October. Uh, the committee and uh, the partners, uh, nearly 55 partners uh, from uh, government uh, sectors and private uh, companies such as I'mar, uh, Nahil, And um, so we are planning the uh, New Year Eve uh, from October. So, uh, yeah, it was a long time.
1: Yeah. And, you know, as we've said, it's not just the traffic, but also emergency services, the toilet facilities, public facilities to make sure people have, you know, restrooms available, all sorts of different things, perhaps that people don't think of. How many individuals from the Dubai police side actually get involved with managing this day? Because it's going to be a busy one for you.
2: Yes. So actually, uh, as I've mentioned, we are working over uh, this event as a team. So um the manpower will be used in uh, in the event uh, it will reach to 11900 11000 Yeah that that include the volunteers as well Yeah Yeah and uh, we'll be using uh, nearly 1300 uh, petrol vehicles in uh, just f- to cover the event
1: what does your New Year's Eve look like, personally, <laughs> for you every <laughs> <Work>. year? <laughs> it's
2: it's a work. It's Telling people a, yeah. where to go and, yeah. and managing. The, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we'll uh, from our side, um, we start working from um, early morning actually right. on. 31st. Yeah, long day. Uh, Yeah, it is a long day for us.
1: Well, on behalf of the whole public community here, thank you so much to yourself and to all of the authorities, all of the people. You said the 55 different authorities that get involved in this and the teams, um, and and that more than 10,000 people from Dubai Police and volunteers as well that help support this. So, big thank you from us. Now, I do want to touch on one more point because we talked about the fact that there are fireworks in 32 locations. So, it's not just the downtown area to talk about. Because another common area people like to go to is the beach, especially Umsuqaim, Jumeirah Beach as well. Now, there are occasionally Jumeirah Beach road closures as well due to the congestion of traffic. So tell us a little bit about how that happens. Is that determined ahead of time or is that determined based on the traffic flow? Uh,
2: uh, Actually, there is a plan, a traffic plan uh, for Jumeirah Road. But it depends on the traffic flow, actually. Mm-hmm. But uh, we have pointed the uh, location that people can park their cars. They are, the parking areas are for free at this uh, time. You can park your car and just visit the uh, Kite Beach. Uh, this is the main area where like, it's surrounded with uh, multiple hotels. That, um, you can have a view of um, Bulgaria, Burj Al Arab, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Medina Jumeirah, all of these fireworks will be, like you can see them from that point. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I would uh, like to point that, uh, please just uh, try to watch the um, uh, Dubai police channels, uh, especially social media channels, because we'll keep updating people on the traffic flow and uh, the location where can they park their cars, uh, the facilities which has provided from the committee.
1: Yeah. And some other busy areas that come to mind definitely are the Palm, because you obviously have certain bottlenecks getting on and off. Similar JBR, you have bottlenecks sometimes getting into JBR with sort of the limited road allowances there. So any plans for those area? Again, is it kind of a watch and see or or do you have specific plans in place for some of those areas? Uh,
2: those area, as I've mentioned, we have 32 location, Yes. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean 32 location is like it's a location. But uh, fireplaces, fire, firework places are plenty. Yeah, they are. They are more like hundreds. So uh, yeah, we do have uh, locations in uh, GBR. Uh, we do have traffic plans also for uh, GBR. Um, uh, there, there will be a location that people can park and use the tram uh, to reach to the location. Uh, as I've mentioned earlier, um, Blue Water uh, also, they do have uh, fireworks uh, over there. Uh, so, all this area is also covered. There is a plan to, uh, uh, for a traffic plan to for the location. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually, we all, always um, try to uh, tell the people just come early, come early, and try to park on the location that we provide. Uh, those location there will be uh, shelter buses mm-hmm. to 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 take you often on uh, to the locations right
1: and also the public transportation systems, which we haven't had a chance to touch on yet, the metro and the tram special hours that we're going to be seeing. They're going to be running around the clock from about yes. 8 or 9 a.m. on New Year's Eve yes. for for the tram and the metro. And for how long will those be running continuously? Uh,
2: so It depends on the line. It depends on the uh, some of the lines will be running till 2 a.m. Yes, and some of them uh, will be uh, at 12 1230 it depends on the flow of the uh, people mm-hmm. yeah
1: but the stations going to the downtown area those will be closed for yes about as,
2: uh, as mm-hmm. it's mentioned in our uh, I think uh, uh, as it's mentioned in our video that the uh, the uh, the location which will be closed uh, uh, is uh, the uh, metro station of the uh, uh, Dubai Mall will be closed. So uh, you have to use either uh, Centerpoint uh, Metro Station mm-hmm. or uh, uh, Jabal Ali Metro Station but if you if you use this you can you can reach uh, to a bus to reach to the location itself. Yeah.
1: Just one final one for you before I let you go. Thank you so much for your You're time welcome. today. Um, one thing that surprised me in the plan when I saw it was actually the pedestrian bridges on the canals as well will be closed. Yes. So that's something to be aware of. If you are in yes. the canal area, it might be a little bit difficult for you to walk from one end to the other. If Those bridges will be closed is, as well.
2: This is this is what we we are trying to. Um, that, uh, we don't want to people access their the, the main roads because mm. uh, uh, it will be hard for us to reopen the roads since there is a pedestrian on the roads. Right. So uh, that's why we have to close the the, the pedestrian entrance and uh, let them move to the uh, to the buses uh, instead. Of just walking around these streets, so that will give us uh, reopen. Uh, uh, we can we we can reopen the door, uh, the roads uh, earlier?
1: Yeah, like an important safety precaution, of course, as yes. many people out and about on the roads. Thank you so much, You're Lieutenant welcome. Colonel Abdul Rahman Al Falasi. He's the head of Traffic Awareness Department of Dubai Police. Thanks for coming in.
2: Thank you. Thank you. And
1: a really important message to everyone out there who is going to be out and about on New Year's Eve, walking us through what we need to know for this Sunday's festivities. And as I said earlier, a big thank you to all of the individuals at Dubai Police, at Civil Defense, all the other government bodies who've been working hard to make sure we can all really enjoy this big day of the year.
0: You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station.
1: This is The Agenda.
0: On Dubai Eye 103.8.
1: You are tuned into the agenda with myself, Sonal. And yesterday we were having a chat with Fiona McKenzie of Carfax Education. And we were talking about certain schools around the world that have a truly innovative or really uniquely different approach. And she was talking to me about something that really surprised me a global school. She told me about an education approach that absolutely boggled my mind students traveling around the world to different global locations every year for immersive experiences and learning. And I thought, okay, there's three global. Nope. She said it changes every single year of that high school experience. And I thought we need to find out more about this because it sounded so impossibly complicated to manage. And also, I'm so curious about the people taking part in this as well. So we decided to find out more about it. We've invited in Russell Cayley. He is the managing director of Think Learning Studio here in Dubai. Russell, good morning. Thanks for coming in.
3: Good morning. Thank you for having me.
1: And, you know, uh, to clarify, Think Learning Studio, it's all in collaboration with the Think
3: Global School as well. It was. We're separate entities now, but we were born from the ideas and the curriculum approach from Think Global School.
1: And Fiona, as I mentioned, really caught my attention yesterday with the idea of a traveling high school, essentially. Uh, And how long has this concept been around? Tell us a little bit about how the program works in brief.
3: Yeah, of course. It's been around for nearly 15 years now, and the learners go to four countries every year. They've just wrapped up in Melbourne, Australia. They go home to families, and then those same learners pack up in a few weeks and they head to Hiroshima, Japan. And they'll finish the year in Athens, Greece. So it's four countries every year. Yeah, kind of wild. <laughs>
1: and how long are they spending in each location? What are they doing there? Because they're not spending their time in a classroom, are they?
3: No, no. Our our core curriculum component is project-based learning. So I, I would always say our learners learn like architects. They create portfolios. Um, they engage in real-world learning. They meet experts on the ground and keynote speakers. Um, They they are sometimes in a classroom prototyping, designing, creating things and solutions, but for half of the time they are outside in the world.
1: Can you give us an example of one of those projects about what that might look like, for example, because in each location, I suppose they're there for a couple of months. What happens over the course of that period? Where are they staying? (laughs) What What sorts of projects are they working on?
3: So we will go to anywhere, <laughs> anywhere that will have us almost. Right. So we've stayed in university campuses. We've stayed in hotels. We've stayed, stayed in dorms. And as the world changes, as this kind of nomadic lifestyle expands, we, when we, we started out doing this 15 years ago, very few people, the term nomadic was quite alien to most people. Yeah. Um, But as the world has changed and things like, you know, we work offices have emerged in Dubai, we have so many co-working spaces. They're the types of places that we would go. um, And we really want it to be an open, creative feel for the learners. Um, We want them to really engage in the place they're at. Um, So your question's a good one. Uh, What type of things would they do? Well, I can give you an example from Dubai. So one of the modules they did was desert housing. So it was taking the role of an architect and designing, uh, how, how have we built this city in the desert? <laughs> you know, we probably, most of us take it for granted, but actually we started to meet the architects and say, okay, how do you run electricity there? How do you get water there? What does the design need to look like to function in such a humid, hot desert environment? Um, so obviously they then had to do this big deep dive into the construction of desert housing, and then they had to create their own desert house to present to local experts here in Dubai.
1: Russell, I haven't mentioned this, but actually I'm 18 and I'd love to enroll <laughs> if, if that's possible. Would you ever do an adult kind of course like this as well? Because I, I know so many adults that would love to engage in that.
3: We've been asked multiple times about um, Think Global University or Think yeah. Global you know, College. I think it's something that will probably come across our radar in the next couple of years, yeah.
1: (laughs) Okay. We're having such a fascinating conversation about unconventional education right now. I wish sometimes that I could take all our off-air conversations and pop them on air. In fact, we'll bring some of those topics to you because one of the big questions I have when you are traveling the world, doing all these cool projects, do you end up missing some of the things that kids do actually learn in school? I mean, there is quite a rigorous program when we get to high school in terms of science, mathematics, sort of a reason that... We might actually value some rote learning, I suppose, as you would call it.
0: You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station.
1: This is The Agenda
0: on Dubai I 103.8.
1: We are talking about unorthodox education here on the agenda. We have a special guest in studio with us, Russell Cayley. He's the managing director of Think Learning Studio in Dubai. It was a part of Think Global School, which we described a little bit about a high school education that involves traveling to different locations around the world and doing project-based learning. Now, Russell gave us an example of a Dubai-based project that involved learning about architecture in a desert environment and how that would involve different organizations and authorities as well to help educate the children. But Sam is not happy with me on the text lines. He says, instead of asking about where they stay, we need to know what they do and why. So Russell, let's get to that question. Tell us a little bit more about the actual education that is coming with these projects. And why is this a useful approach?
3: Yeah, you know, Sam asks a good question. The why is always key, and it's always at the forefront of whatever we do. Uh, We felt, you know, over a decade ago that education was becoming extremely stagnant. Um, I saw from my own home back in the UK, um, learners completely disengaged with curriculums that they just felt were not serving any purpose. Um, I think our young people see a lot of problems out there in the world today Mm. and they want to find solutions. So our why was creating a curriculum uh, for learners to really engage with some of humanity's big issues. Um, You know, what are we going to do with the metaverse? How will AI affect our lives over the next 10 years? How will digital networks impact our friendships and our communities? So all these projects and these experiences that we designed were for the why of, you know, what is the world gonna look like for these young people in 2040? What skills do we need to give them? Is it the kings and queens of England? Is it World War One? I'm a historian by trade, I'm passionate about it, but I don't necessarily think that, you know, these are the things, they might be part of it, but they're not the only thing that will prepare our young people for the world ahead.
1: A common gripe people have with education is how little it's actually changed in the past few decades. Sure, you've seen some things focused on more critical thinking as opposed to rote learning, for example. But when you look at the number and majority of people in traditional education systems, do you kind of want to pull your hair out knowing what you know about the the system that you guys have, have created and worked on?
3: I think the traditional system repels innovation and it's very good at doing it. You know, the, it, it's not like the traditional system is failing. It's doing what it was prepared to do, which is a factory industrial based model with a big test at the end of it, which mm-hmm. makes codification of learning fairly easy when you sit that three hour exam. What we're doing is not for everybody. And, and, and as I travel around, um, I'm not trying to um, get everyone to do this. Um, if you are passionate about real world learning, if you see your sons and daughters struggling in the four walls of a classroom, we might be for you certain people like, like you said, you know, the traditional approach to education, the rote learning, if that's, you know, if that's what inspires you, then the the more traditional system is for you. But I think what we thought is that the world, um, the Middle East, Dubai, wherever, deserves another option, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what drove our why and in what we do. And it's important to say that our learners are between grade 10 and 12. We do believe this system works perfectly fine in, in middle years, but we are fully accredited Our students go on to university, they do wonderful things in the world. We've had over a decade of alumni. You know, no one is malfunctioning because we've abandoned you know rote learning and memory tests
1: now when you do project-based learning how do you make sure things don't get missed that might be the foundation for those projects for example i mean we all remember perhaps learning basic algebraic concepts in school uh, and then maybe later on in college you might think about how to apply them how if you are doing a project um there aren't that many maybe real world projects where necessarily you would apply that. But how do you make sure they have the basic foundation first before going on to do those projects? The types of things that you might think really only comes from sitting down and being instructed and, and doing the homework.
3: Yeah, <laughs> it's a good question. I, we, we run a language lab and a maths lab. Now, what I tell when I when I was director of the school, what I used to tell my educators is we used to talk a lot about the dance the dance would be between the different pillars of our curriculum. Mm -hmm. What we believed is nothing should be siloed. That's when kind of the danger warning signs would flash. So we would offer foundational skills in languages and in mathematics, but what we would always do is pull those foundational skills into a real world experience or problem. So we have no no problem with the foundation skills, but we still want to make those foundational skills applicable in the real world
1: right and there must be some challenges to this as well especially you said you know they'll go on to do their university education when you're going from a non-conventional high school to let's say a conventional college experience what does this transition like for students because all of a sudden you're going into this norm of learning that is so different from from what you're used to what's the feedback that you get from your graduates on that experience
3: yeah, I, I think two two zones of feedback. I think the first zone is that our young people are beginning to choose universities a, a little differently than maybe you and I did and, mm-hmm. and, and our, our age generation. Um, young people are beginning to um, seek university experiences that are more engaging, challenge-based, project-based. Um, th- that is the experience that we're seeing on the ground from our alumni, and as our al- alumni meet other students from around the world when they go to university those those young people who've been in the traditional system tend to be kind of a bit worn down and disengaged and that's the feedback we're getting from our young people so they're beginning to become a bit more selective consumers about Mm -hmm. the university experiences because as we know the university experience is very expensive so i think picking wisely is not a bad thing
1: well, talking about very expensive, how, yeah. many, how many students are involved with this program on an annual basis?
3: 40 at the moment. So 40 have just wrapped up the term in Australia and they'll be moving over to Japan um, early January.
1: And I just think about all the logistics that would go into having multiple locations throughout the year. Um making sure that they have all their needs taken care of, but that you also have an interesting curriculum design in each of those locations with an interesting project and partners to get involved in. And there's so much planning just for 40 students. Yeah, It must be incredibly expensive to execute
3: this program. It is. It, it's time consuming. Um, the teams within our educators are incredibly committed. I mean, when the pandemic hit, I've, you know, the team transitioned us from... You know, we had the worst business model in the world for the pandemic, right. you know, so we tra- we transitioned very quickly to online learning. So the educators we, we get are very committed. They design programs and modules um, that are really engaging. But, yeah, it's expensive. But what I would say is we offer very generous um, scholarships and we do offer financial aid as our as young people apply to this program.
1: How much is the tuition if you're not getting finance before the financial aid? Oh, if you're a very wealthy person, yeah, yeah,
3: it's just over 90,000 US dollars. So it's expensive. But as I say, very small amount, pay that full amount. It's very heavily scholarship.
1: And just a quick one for you. We are running out of time, but I'm just going to stretch this a little bit longer Mm because I want to know a little bit more about the trends that you're seeing for education in the next year, especially in the chat about technology and AI. Do you find students are prepared for a world with AI that potentially could change how our entire society functions?
3: Oh, more, more than the adults. The, the the learners are way ahead of the curve on this. And um, our learners are engaged in AI, the metaverse, virtual networks and realities. Um, a few years ago, you know, one of my huge frustrations is I traveled around the world for the last 10 years to conferences and in keynotes. And all I heard was about AI reimagining education, but we never redesigned. And I think that's right now where education is struggling a little bit with these technological advancements that are coming at us so fast. We talked about it, but we didn't really prepare very well. So I think now we're in that stage where we're having to pivot very quickly.
1: Right, and Russell, I could keep going with you. So we'll (laughs) have to have you back to talk about this in in more depth at at another time. But for now, thank you so much for joining us.
3: Pleasure. Thanks for having me. On the show.
1: That is the voice there of Russell Cayley, the Managing Director of Think Learning School Studio, sorry, in Dubai. Actually, I should ask, if people are interested and they want to get involved, how can they do that?
3: Yeah, uh, I'm on LinkedIn, Russell John Cayley, um, thinklearningstudio.org. And if you're interested in the school, tgs.org.
0: You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station.
1: This is The Agenda
0: on Dubai Eye 103.8.
1: You're listening to The Agenda with myself, Sonal. And it's fair to say there's tons of great events still to come in January. I'd love to know what you keep an eye on in the new year and things that you like to attend. Because the Emirates Lit Fest is back at the Intercontinental Hotel Festival City. That's from January 31st to the 6th of February. And they always bring some great names in. I've broadcasted from there over the last few years. And I am always surprised by the range of people that attend on different topics. It's not necessarily just the... Fiction authors that you might think of, but a broad range of people with different expertise as well. So we wanted to look forward to what's coming up because, of course, some of those tickets are going to go fast. And we thought we'd look ahead. It's just about a month away. And Dania Druby, she's the COO and Director of Education Initiatives at the Emirates Literature Foundation, is joining us now over Teams. Dania, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. We still have six minutes till the till the end of the morning. Thank you for having me. <laughs> exactly. That must be a busy time for you. So thanks for coming on. The event is just about a month away. What is it like for you at, at this point in the schedule? Well, we're at the home stretch. We're ticking
4: off uh, some items on our long to-do list, and ensuring that everything is ready uh, to w- greet our customers and our visitors. We have we have been communicating with our speakers and moderators. We're hosting training sessions for our volunteers who are a big and very important part of our festival and the success of the festival. Um, So we yes, you can um, imagine we are
1: busy bees at the moment. Yeah, definitely. And tell us a little bit about the lineup. Who are some of the people that are generating the most excitement from your audiences at the moment?
4: Well, so now we have a hundred and over one hundred and fifty speakers uh, coming up to the festival this year. A very diverse range, a uh, very diverse lineup and topics as well. Uh, some of the highlights is Paul Lynch, who is uh, the winner of the twenty twenty three Booker Prize for his extraordinary novel, Prophet Song. We will also have American poet, Claudia Rankin and Booker Prize winner, Bernadine Everesto, who are coming together for the first time ever to have a conversation about their groundbreaking careers. And this is not to be missed. We are very excited about this as well. Uh, We will also have our charming and beloved Emirati broadcaster, Ibrahim Ostadi, who is going to be hosting a unique uh, session this year um, in in the format of uh, Uh, Late Show, and that would be, is going to be with life coach and relationship expert, Khulud Amir, uh, award-winning poet, and Prince of Poets finalist, Ahmed Bakheed, and acclaimed novelist and editor, Ashraf uh, Faqir. We will also be celebrating, of course, our UAE national heroes, astronauts uh, Sultan al-Niyadi and Hazza al-Mansouri. They will be talking about the groundbreaking uh, mission that Sultan has been on uh, six months on the International Space Station and all the stories that they have, the, the adventures that they're on. We will also be having Zahra Lari, who is a celebrated Marathi athlete and figure skating national champion, and she'll be launching her debut children's book called Not Yet. Mm -hmm. So there is a lot. This is a, a little bit of what's coming up. Uh, there will be also plenty for children and families to attend uh, the weekend uh, from the 2nd the to the 4th of February is going to be uh, catered to children and families with right. so many sessions uh, free and
1: uh, paid and yeah so this is a little bit to to get you excited about this yeah definitely when one of the things that excites a lot of people are some of the the favorite events that you have there's desert stanzas for example you know yes. for a lot of people they don't realize lit fest actually goes after hours as well it's not just necessarily daytime sessions so what are some of the unique experiences and favorites that you're going to be bringing back this year
4: Absolutely, as you said, Sonal. So our, uh, of course, signature event is the Desert Stanza, which we have. We every year we look forward to, and we have a, a really unique lineup of poets and performers to, uh, uh, mesmerize us under the stars. We will also have our opening gala, which is our opening event, with also a lineup of. Poets and performers to uh, to perform, and uh, we will be celebrating uh, some of these performances. Um, some of our, as you said, the Lit Fest after hours. This is a unique uh, event that we we are introducing this year, and this is uh, a lineup of four nights uh, with different performers every year. Uh, some of them with dance, drama, music, poetry, and uh, Visitors can either buy a pass uh, for all four nights to attend that uh, or they can have... Purchase individual passes for this. Um, we also have publishing days, which are always uh, a, you know a, a big uh, part of our festival, and uh, always we look forward to some of the budding authors who come and attend these sessions, and they're working on their own manuscripts and you know are looking to get published. So this is also a returning um, event. Um, we will also have, as I said, a big lineup for families over the. The weekend with some uh, some returning authors and others who are new to
1: our festival this year i'm curious about dinner with a clue as well that kind of murder mystery this is something that you've run before how did it go Well, this is an exciting thing, because
4: we have, um, we at the foundation have a fellowship with uh, where we encourage uh, locally uh, based authors to submit their manuscripts, and uh, they attend a whole year of fellows, uh, fellowship being mentored by an author. And so one of our fellows is actually the one who is writing this uh, murder mystery uh, synopsis this year. And so she will be part of the the as well as uh, the excitement so this is a big event that we as you said it is coming back to the lit fest and we're excited about this
1: yeah and and you know just a, a last one for you Dania, because it, the lit fest means a lot to to different people what was your favorite moment from a past literature festival for you personally just to end on a personal note
4: for me personally um Well, I have to say, last year, um, we had a Jibran, Khalil Jibran event. And this was the first time that we host a dinner event, an Arabic dinner Mm -hmm. event. Um, And this was a very exciting uh, event for me because Jibran is a big, uh, uh, well-known figure in the literature field, in the Arabic literature uh, field, and of course, worldwide as well, because his work has been translated to several languages. So hosting that dinner, we had musical performances we had a drama it was such an an amazing um experience to just be in in uh, engulfed in this in the music and poetry and of course we had a dinner that was themed from his village where he comes from and the chef at the at the intercon did an amazing job of curating a specially made dinner so it was it was really a, a special event for me because i also had family members attending with me and they really enjoyed being part of this and they they you know when people talk about the literature festival they just think it's it's just conversations and you have to be you have to read the book to be part of it but it's not the festival is an all-round uh, entertainment and education event and you don't really have to be a reader we we are going to turn you into a reader if you are not a reader. But if you are a reader, we will make you fall in love with new authors and new books and new topics.
1: Brilliant. Thank you so much, Dania, for your time. Tickets are now available on your website? Yes, they are at litfesttickets.emirateslitfest.com. And uh, our
4: visitors can purchase tickets to the event separately or there are a few passes as well that they can uh, purchase and enjoy over the weekend. And um, as I said, there's a lot to, to look at. If they look at the program, there's so much there going on and whether paid or free. So we look forward to welcoming everyone, uh, big and small, yeah, to the brilliant. festival to Thank celebrate. You.
1: Thank you. so much, Dania, you so for your much. time and for having a chat. Really looking forward to it this year. Thank you so much, Sonal, for having me. Have a great day. You too. The voice there of Dania Droby. She is the COO and Director of Education Initiatives at the Emirates Literature Foundation. This is The Agenda.
0: On Dubai Eye 103.8, the UAE's number one talk radio station.
1: One of the topics we've been discussing on the agenda this week are personal challenges, things that people will be taking on in 2024. And oftentimes people take on a personal challenge for a good cause. We're catching up now with Sana Choyak. Now, she is Projects and Services Chairperson at Lions Club Premier in Dubai. And Sana climbed Mount Kenya in August this past year in a trek that's called Kili for Kids. It was all to raise awareness and funds to create a school and a safe place for kids with albinism in in Tanzania. And Mount Kenya is the second highest peak in Africa. Sana is joining us now on Teams to tell us a little bit more about this experience. Good morning, Sana. Hi, good morning. How are you? A great, thank you. I understand you're actually joining us live from Bali. Yes, I'm on holiday in Bali. Oh, well, thanks for taking the time out to chat while you're on holiday. We do appreciate it. You have gone through such an interesting experience this year. And give us a little bit of background. Have you ever done a trek like this before? How it, how did it end up comparing to your expectations of it? Yeah,
5: I I did uh, my, uh, Mount Kilimanjaro before, uh, which was the highest mountain in uh, Africa. So this time it was the second highest in, uh, in Africa. It is, um, it is. I would say, as challenging as uh, Mount Kilimanjaro. It, technically, in terms of uh, physicality, it is more challenging. The weather conditions were more challenging in Kilimanjaro, though. So, yeah, overall, it it was more or less the same kind of uh, a challenge level, I would say.
1: And uh, give us a bit of a, a sense of what was happening, a picture of what was happening to you throughout your days on this trek, because how many hours a day were you walking? And what was the biggest challenge for you along the way of making it to the summit?
5: Yeah. So it, actually it was around eight hours of walking every day and it depends on the weather conditions. It it can be shorter or longer. It also depends on the, um, the, the group because we were a group of uh, 18 ladies with different uh, age groups.
0: Mm-hmm.
5: Uh, I must say that it's we, it was quite challenging because we were between 40 and up to 65-year-old uh, ladies, so it was quite challenging and we needed to make sure that everyone is safe so if someone is not able to go as fast as the others, the others will be waiting. So we had to respect the dynamics of the team and keep everyone safe. So it yeah, we walked, let's say, probably around eight hours a day, but the last day was the most challenging one because... We walked probably for 12 hours uh, starting the camp at um, midnight to reach the summit and, in the morning and then we we kept walking because we had to go down and then we keep we kept walking till we reached the camp for the yeah almost the entire day so it was it was quite challenging and tiring
1: yeah and people often say especially on that last day the altitude sickness can really kick in is that something you struggled with at all or anybody in your team
5: Yes, the altitude sickness was a thing uh, because we, as I said, we were around 18. I think we were 18 uh, women, and only eight managed to reach the summit because some of them had to drop uh, off the the climb because of altitude sickness. Yeah. So it is a it it is it is something, and we cannot control it because it depends on your how your body is reacting. It depends how, um, how you feel. It has nothing to do with fitness. Um, it's, you have to go through it and decide when is the moment to stop and go down, mm. um, which is quite difficult because if you reach it, the mountain is around 5,000 meters. So if you are at 4.8, it is, it is diff- It is a difficult decision. If you want to go down after all what was done, but again, we needed to be safe, so only people who were uh, in good conditions to continue the climb uh, continued.
1: And you managed to summit. How did that feel?
5: Yeah, it, it's it's amazing. The adrenaline rush, the feeling, the achievement. It's also at the end of the day, we were doing it for a, a, a cause. So reaching there means that. It's an achievement. We are going to keep raising awareness that we are going to uh, build the school thanks to the donations, etc. So it is a big achievement. Um, Adrenaline rush, you forget about the sickness, you forget about all the soreness and and the fatigue that you go through. Uh, The difficult part is when you start going down. When I started walking towards the camp, this is when I struggled. I was almost crying. I was in pain. I was... uh, I... 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 At the end, like the last five kilometres were very, very difficult, because we had to walk for, uh, I don't remember very well, but I think it's probably 10 kilometres we have to walk for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we stop, we have lunch, and it started raining at a certain point of time, it was cold. Um, It's the, the coming back is more difficult than going up, because when you are going up, you have a destination, you have an objective, you keep going, because you say, Okay, I'm doing this for a cause, but then when you're done and the adrenaline rush is going down, and you have to walk for another, I don't know, five or six hours, you are you are you run out of uh, energy, you run out of uh, push, you run out of motivation, and this is when you start working on your uh, mental um, strength and your motivation to keep going. It's its difficult because you are hurting everywhere.
1: Yeah, I can totally imagine that, that the focus is on getting to the summit and that people don't necessarily take into account how difficult it is to come down. I often find, even on a simple trek, the coming down is harder. So I can imagine on a bigger one like that. And you mentioned there the cause that you were doing this for. Let's get to that because... Why do kids with place, what are some of the challenges that they face, specifically in Tanzania?
5: So the albino kids are considered as bad luck. Uh, in, or if they are, parts of their bodies are used uh, in, in black magic, it can bring luck uh, and prosperity. And um, And this is why they are hunted, to take parts of their bodies or to be killed. So it is they are living in difficult conditions and they have to be in a safe place, but also to continue their education and to live a normal life like the other kids of their age. Right. So we 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 knew about this school that is there in Tanzania, but they they don't have enough resources. They don't have the right tables, the right um, beds because they they live there, the kids uh, they don't have enough, uh, they don't have good conditions in terms even of the building. So the idea is to uh, raise funds and to collect enough money to be able to buy new uh, furniture, to also reconstruct, etc. Um, so that's what we are now continuing working on. We reached a good amount and we are continuing raising awareness and funds towards it. The I must say that also uh, to mention that Kilimandjiro for Kids is a continuous um, initiative. So when we finished Mount Kenya, we went down. On our way back, before even going for the shower, mm-hmm. we went to visit mm-hmm. the school that was opened out of the funds that were raised from Mount K- Kilimanjaro two years before. So every year we climb a mountain and we help a school in the in the country that we where we climbed the mountain. So that's that's the idea.
1: That is a really horrifying picture that you painted. I had no idea that issue actually existed. And I'm sure there are people out there listening who might want to get involved with Kili for Kids. How can they, you know, get involved with this and and join the group?
5: So there is a website called uh, www.kili, four as a number, kids.org. They can also contact me on my LinkedIn or my Instagram, Sana Shoyak. Um you you can I don't know how you do it you can put it on the website for Dubai I but I can spell it S A N A T H O Y A K H for people they can uh, reach out to me on LinkedIn or in Instagram and I I'm, I'm happy to help uh, with uh, with more information.
1: Thank you so much for telling us a little bit more about that Sana what's the next thing on your list it seems like you like to take on these challenges what do you have coming up
5: So uh, we are planning to do base camp um Mount um, Everest next year for a school in Nepal.
1: Okay, brilliant. Well, we'll stay tuned and we'll be in touch about that as well. And wish you the best of luck with all of that coming up, as you said, all for a really important cause.
5: Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Uh, It's an absolute pleasure and thank you for supporting the cause.
1: Thanks there to Sana Shoyak. She is the Projects and Services Chairperson at Lions Club Premier Dubai. Really interesting issue that she's raising attention for, one that I personally didn't know that existed as well. So really appreciate her taking some time to chat and wish her the best of luck with some of her climbing journeys in the future. Tune into The Agenda every weekday from 10 a.m.